we're back on the podcast answering the question, what does the Bible say about that? Pastor Phil, so glad to be back with you. Yeah, Keith, this is going to be a great conversation today. That's right. Talking about the subject of alcohol. What does the Bible say about alcohol? And we'll jump into that in just a minute. But first of all, man, a great uh, weekend of uh, ministry here at Crossgate. Um, maybe a lot of people don't know about it. We had a great merge weekend uh, where uh, we invested in some uh, engaged and seriously dating couples, um, had uh, several couples for that, and then uh, preparing for our Elevate Weekends coming up in just a few weeks. So excited about those opportunities, Phil. Yeah, Merge is an awesome opportunity, and I believe we had more couples attend this weekend than we've ever had before. So that means that a lot of couples are truly wanting to seek the Lord and discern His will regarding their relationships. So I love it. That's awesome. And of course, we mentioned Elevate. Wow, you're getting excited. You've been several years. Why don't you uh, give us a little preview of what people can expect there? You know, the first thing I tell people about Elevate, and of course, I'm speaking more from the men's perspective, uh, but I say this is not your granddaddy's men's retreat. I mean, for real, this is not just a bunch of boys getting together, good old boys, and, uh, you know, shooting the breeze and having something to eat and hearing a speaker and just kind of sitting around and, and goofing off. I mean, this this is some spiritual transformation can take place very, very powerfully at Elevate. It's fantastic. Yeah, and we do have uh, some more spots available. The ladies just have a few uh, spots, and uh, the men uh, have a few more, but uh, they can find out more about that on our website, crossgate.org, or go to elevatehotsprings.com. So, yeah, how, Keith, how is it that the, the women always beat us on that? I mean, the men always kind of wait to the last minute to, to sign up. I don't know what's going on with that. Yeah, I, I think us guys like to keep our options open, but I can tell you there's no greater option than being at Elevate uh, there, uh, March 8th through the That's 10th. Right. Uh, all right, well, let's go ahead and jump into the topic for this week, and that is uh, this. What does the Bible say about alcohol? A uh, very relevant uh, topic, but also could be kind of controversial. So great message this past week. I thought it was um, just tremendous the way that you handled that. But let's do a little bit of a recap um, about kind of the main point. And you said that for Christians, there are basically two options when it comes to the consumption of beverage alcohol, and that is total abstinence and measured moderation with compassionate empathy for others. So can you quickly review those two options and explain where we get those from? Well, first of all, I did mention those right up front in the message. I didn't want to just start laying out biblical principles and then leave people hanging on exactly where we were going to come down. I think one, because again, as I shared earlier, the pendulum has gone back and forth uh, on this topic. So on the one hand, you had kind of this hardcore legalistic uh, preaching on, on alcohol, and here's what the Bible says. And again, as I said yesterday, probably some of the most manipulative sermons I've ever heard in my life have been on this topic of alcohol. On the other hand, it has also swung back in the other direction in more recent days where you don't hear anything about it. So I wanted to lay out right up front, hey, this is what I believe the Bible says, what it allows, what it makes room for. And so total abstinence, that, that really needs no explanation whatsoever. Uh, the, the other option, measured moderation with compassion and empathy for others, yes, that, that is a carefully crafted definition because typically people would simply say, well, you know, in all things moderation and leave it at that. But that very limited uh, definition of what an option might be, meaning, well, just all things in moderation. One, I don't think moderation is, is a careful enough word. That's why I say measured moderation. That means, yes, if you're going to exercise this liberty, you need to do so with a high degree of measured moderation. 
because uh, it's very easy to let moderation get carried away with itself. But, but if we only said moderation, then again, that simply makes it all about my experience with alcohol. But just like it, with, as we said, with gambling two weeks ago and other topics as well, there are more people in life than just us. And so the decisions we make can very easily have big impacts on others as well. And that's why we always have to have compassion, uh, compassionate empathy for others whenever we make our decisions. So that's kind of where we're at, but probably a little further down the road than what the hardcore legalists would allow or would say. On the other hand, I'm certainly, I'm, I'm certainly not for license either when it comes to, uh, when it comes to alcohol. Yeah, and definitely if somebody is listening to this podcast and they have not um, had a chance to watch that message, I would absolutely recommend going back to our website, crossgate.org, checking out our Vimeo page, uh, YouTube, all of those resources uh, to watch that because you go into a lot more depth as far as uh, what those things mean and where we get them from uh, in the Bible. Uh, So, Phil, if we're being honest, this topic of alcohol uh, can be a controversial topic, and it's one that's caused uh, much division in the churches over the years. Um, But you mentioned in the message that Romans 14.22 tells us that whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Uh, What does that mean exactly? Is this basically saying just keep your beliefs to yourself um, what's the difference and how should we respond, uh, especially to other believers who might hold different convictions? Yeah, so uh, Romans 14, 20 to 22 basically outlines the fact that, you know, we should not be making any decisions that could potentially disrupt the unity of the body of believers or the local, the local church. And, and certainly there are, um, th- there are some liberties, there are some freedoms that we have as Christians that say, for example, you know, the, uh, the, the, the Jewish uh, people of God would not, would not necessarily have in terms of food and, and other items like that. And even the Gentiles would have some hang-ups on some things. The Christians have uh, heard the Lord say, hey, you're, you're good to go to eat anything. You're good to go to drink. I mean, that's not the point. But at the same time, uh, the Bible is very clear in Romans 14, 21 and 22, that we should not exercise our liberties and our freedoms in such a way that, that might be disruptive to the lives of other people. Uh, and so when it comes to this very specific saying in verse 22, whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. As we said yesterday, uh, if, if you're going to exercise your liberties, be aware that in some cases you probably don't need to make that public. It would probably be uh, not helpful if you made that public. Now, in terms of the specific meaning of keep between yourself and God, what that does not say is keep it to yourself. You know, in other words, oh, this is my own little deal. This is my business. You know, n- nobody else has any any issue with this whatsoever. It's just it, this is my business. There's a big difference between saying keep it between yourself and God and keeping it to yourself, because if you're keeping it between yourself and God, you are going back to the Lord and and not just once, but repeatedly saying, God, what do you say about this? Right? Not what do I think or what do I want or what do I want to do, but God, what do you say about this? And I will tell you. An honest question like that will sometimes lead to a change in conviction. Uh, but then, of course, you also keep in mind that uh, our freedom and even actions that we take could negatively affect others. So there's other people involved indirectly with our own personal decision-making. And again, as I shared yesterday, uh, that was probably one of the biggest points of feedback that I got from a number of people two weeks ago in the gambling message where they had said, man, I, 
I never thought about the fact that there's other people involved in being affected by my choice to spend a few bucks on on this or that or gamble on with a few dollars or whatever. So that, that's that's where it lies. It, you are asking God. Yes, you're not going public with this, and I know we're going to talk about that more in the in the podcast. But we we need to be going back and asking God, Lord, what do you say about this topic? Yeah, that's a great point, um, and one that is just very important as we get into these. Um, these topics that are often difficult to navigate, if we're being honest. Um, well, obviously, Phil, we've heard a lot about how dangerous alcohol can be to our health and even to the health of those around us, to your point. Um, but what about some recent claims that people say that some alcohol can actually be beneficial to our health? Um, are we missing out on some of those benefits if we just abstain completely? Well, first of all, that's a great question because people do ask about, just for example, most people think of the medicinal medical benefits of drinking some red wine. You know, I'll have a glass of red wine and that's supposed to help my heart. That's supposed to be uh, beneficial to my health and so forth. A couple thoughts on that. So first of all, uh, there, there may very well be some, some positive benefits. However, uh, I would argue that, you know, a glass of red wine, for example, whatever health benefits you might be getting out of that from from antioxidants or other things, you could very easily find in other places that is not coming from a, a potentially intoxicating beverage. But here's the, the flip side of that, okay? Even if there is a health benefit connected with any type of, of beverage alcohol, we've got to consider that more and more studies are showing uh, the amount of damage that even a, a modest amount of alcohol can do. Uh, on uh, CNN London, not, not just a few months ago, I saw an article uh, talking about the fact that the recent study from Oxford University uh, looking at 25,000 people in the United Kingdom and their brain scan shows that there's really no safe level of drinking, meaning that consuming any out of, amount of alcohol was worse than not drinking it at all. Uh, and one of the quotes uh, from the researcher said, so many people drink moderately and think this is either harmless or even protective in some way. Uh, and then later on, the study said, even at levels of low-risk drinking, there is evidence that alcohol consumption plays a larger role in damage to the brain than previously thought. The Oxford study found that this role was greater than many other modifiable risk factors, such as smoking. So in other words, uh, you know, drinking even a, a very moderate, uh, moderate glass of, uh, of, of alcohol uh, is worse for you than smoking a cigarette. That, well, that, well, that's pretty significant. Uh, another study that came out from the University of Pennsylvania said that having one beer a day or one glass of wine a day uh, could age your brain by two years over the course of time, over the course of a, a relatively short amount of time. So there's, there's this, this aspect of brain aging, and that was done over a, a study of 36,000 middle-aged and older adults. So all that to say, I think what we're finding out is that even if, the, even if there are some identifiable health benefits, there are a lot of health uh, risks and negative impacts as well. So, I mean, for me personally, I would rather just abstain altogether. Yeah, that's a great point. And, you know, uh, talking about health benefits and such, you, you even mentioned in the message, uh, and someone might, might question this, they might say, well, didn't Paul tell Timothy to take a little wine for his stomach, uh, not just to drink water? But um, as you mentioned, you know, and we can, we can get into this, um, but the message did a great job. But 
the wine in the Bible is so much different than uh, what we have today and, and the different types of alcohol. Uh, so would you say that applies there as well? Yeah, absolutely, because what he told him to do was quit drinking just water. The water was, I mean, you talk about health risks, the water was terrible. Uh, so if you mix some of that with wine, you know, it'll, it'll take, take away some of the negativity that's in that, that really bad water from those days. But again, I mean, yes, the, the, the wine, now the strong drink, as we said, you know, scholars say that it was 7 to 10% alcohol by volume. Uh, the wine of that day, once it had been diluted down to what it typically was in the ancient culture, was probably about 2% alcohol by volume. Yeah, uh, and again, I would encourage everybody to go back and reference uh, the chart that you put up in that uh, message. It was eye-opening, I know, for me uh, especially. So, all right, moving right along to one of what I thought was one of the best points in the message, and that was uh, this, uh, this reliance factor, which you said is a situation where someone is relying on alcohol rather than God. So considering that, would you say that it is okay for someone to consume alcohol in order to, we hear people say, take the edge off or to help me relax or handle stress? Uh, where does one draw the line between recreation and reliance? Well, that's a great point, and I'm not even sure there really is a line there that's that's hard and distinct and super clear. I mean, I think if someone is saying, I need some alcohol to take the edge off or relax or handle stress, then that's basically mood modification. Uh, if, if you are relying on use, utilizing alcohol for mood modification, I would say you have already started down a slippery slope. Uh, now, again, I mean, that you know, this is a matter of conviction. But I'll tell you, we, we had several of our life groups, and of course what we do every week, as many of our listeners know, is we generate discussion questions related to the message, and then they go out to all the life groups, and the life groups are um, welcome to use those for their main discussion point when they meet, or they can use some other curriculum. But we have an increasing number of our life groups on campus and off that are using these discussion questions uh, just, you know, they'll hear the message and then whether it's the very next hour after that or a couple days later, they'll use those. And there have been some, some really good discussions to include in my life group about just being real convicted about this, this reliance factor. And that's why I said, you know, the last two points of the message, the reliance as well as the example and empathy, those are the ones that I think are really going to hit home the hardest for our people. Yeah, and I really appreciate the fact that while we're talking about alcohol, you you expanded that concept to be, you know, this reliance factor could be with, with anything. Um, and, you know, I think about, you know, um, me personally, um, I've, I've had struggles, you know, with uh, what they call emotional eating, you know, mm -hmm. and so like even that, if I've had a stressful day, I've had a bad day, and I feel like I just need a, a bowl of Bluebell ice cream to make my day better. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> well, if you're going to have ice cream, hungry. it might as well be Bluebell. That's right. Um, but, you know, at, at some point, if I'm running to that, instead of running to Jesus um, for that comfort, that peace, um, then that, you know, I'm relying on that, and uh, that is obviously not, uh, not healthy. So great, great point there. Uh, another factor that you mentioned was the example and empathy factor. So how would Christians apply those factors to decisions about drinking alcohol in public, which you already kind of referenced, uh, maybe attending social functions where alcohol is being consumed, uh, or maybe even working somewhere where they may be serving alcohol directly to customers? Okay, well, first of all, this is, again, this is where we're getting into the, the convictional side of things because, you know, you're, you're, not, you're not seeing a specific prohibition even in Romans 14. 
right? However, if we get into this concept of, of example and empathy and someone is not even willing, someone who chooses to exercise their liberty, right, uh, in, in terms of consuming a beverage alcohol, if someone is not even willing to consider uh, changing the way they're doing things, right, for the sake of what's being talked about in Romans 14, 21 and 22, I would say, first of all, what does that person love more? Their alcohol or people? And second of all, I would say if someone if someone is is unwilling and pushing back on, on even looking at and, and assessing how they're living their lives regarding their drinking, I would say the alcohol probably has an unhealthy control on their life. That's just my my assessment or, or my, my guesstimate, I would say. Now that said, okay, so let's say we have a conversation and someone says, Well, you know, I, I think I'm I, I'm free to uh, to, to drink a beer with dinner or to have a drink, you know, whatever in some setting. Uh, we talked about one specific example yesterday, and that's, well, it's probably not a good idea to put that out on social media. You know, it's like, uh, hey, here I'm at this party and the guy's holding a big bottle of beer or something. I mean, that, you know, that, that may not be the best thing to put out there, for example, on social media or even in a, in a public setting. Uh, where where you are at a work function or whatever, I mean, no one's forcing you to drink alcohol at your uh, you know your business Christmas party, for example. Uh, and in many cases, it's probably better not to, depending on who's there. Uh, again, not because you're you're afraid to be seen or you know somehow you're busted, but the fact is that you having a drink may have a negative impact on other people there. Uh, and he, I'll tell you, the one thing that conv convicts more people than anything else, as I've seen over the years, is when you start talking to parents of relatively young children, you know, and they, whereas maybe in their college days and even in their very early days when their children were, uh, were very, very small, but as their children get old enough, five, six, seven, eight years old, to notice trends and notice things going on in the home, that's when they say, you know, that's when I really started thinking hard about maybe I, maybe I don't need to do this. Kind of thing. So uh, now you bring up a great point. It's almost like the question when we said two weeks ago, uh, you know, what about Oaklawn? What does the Bible say about working at Oaklawn? Okay. Uh, so you're asking the question, what if, what if I work in a bar? What if I'm a bartender? Can a Christian be a bartender? Okay. Well, first of all, again, what does the Bible say? You know, on the one hand, we might want to say, well, of course a Christian can't be a bartender. Why? Where's the scripture that says that? Okay. That I know of, there's only one verse in the Bible that, that gives any kind of negative statement about anyone who gives a drink to someone else. You know, whether it's you're handing a drink to someone else at a party or you're a bartender and you're selling it, uh, that's uh, Habakkuk 2.15, where it says, Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. This is, a, a, this is a, um, a condemnation to the Babylonians, the Chaldeans. And in this context, it's not so much that you're giving them a drink, it's that you're taking advantage of them, right? And you're using alcohol as the means to do that. So I don't know that I would say this verse applies to, say, for example, someone who, who serves a drink to somebody either, either for free or for money. Uh, you know, I would liken this more to say almost like a... Hate to say it, but almost like a date rape type situation. You know, you, a, a college a college guy get, gets a young lady drunk in order to take advantage of her sexually or whatever. Yeah, that that would be. I mean, obviously the, the the Bible would prohibit that, and we see that right here. Me personally, I would strongly counsel someone who says, "Yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I'm a bartender." 
I would say, you know, you probably, as, as, you, as you press in deeper to the lordship of Jesus and you press in deeper to what it means to love your neighbor, you probably need to find another line of work, right? But I'm not going to just beat somebody over the head with a holy hammer and say, you terrible person, you need to quit your job tomorrow, right? I mean, but, but yes, I think as a person grows in their sanctification and the love for the Lord and their love for people, they will probably realize, yeah, I need to find a different job. Yeah, yeah, great point. Um, well, we are almost out of time uh, today, but Phil, when we talk about this subject of alcohol, uh, we realize that we, you know, a lot of people um, are currently hurting or have been hurt, um, either personally or someone that they love, um, because of the dangers of alcohol. So, what are some practical steps someone could take if they or someone they love are struggling with addiction to alcohol? Well, first of all, I just my heart goes out to anybody. Again, I, I kind of came from that situation. Although when when I was growing up, I mean, I we, you know we had no biblical foundation. You know, I went to church, but I mean, there was no Bible in our homes. Uh, we were nominal Christians at best, and so my heart goes out to anyone who's in a situation like that. I would say the first thing is to pray, and and I don't say that tritely. I say pray uh, for God to give strength and peace in the midst of the challenges, but also to pray for the person who's addicted. Uh, I believe that they definitely need to invite some godly voices into that relationship. You, there's no way that you can. There's no way you can even survive and make it and keep your own sanity on your own, right? I mean, you you need someone to step in and walk with you. But certainly, as you engage with your loved one or this other person you know who's dealing with with a hardship, and you know what, if if it's in your church, then by all means, bring in your leadership, right? I mean, talk to a pastor, talk to an elder. Uh, that's part of what church membership is. You know, there there needs to be some leadership, some church leadership that can step into a situation as well. So there's several different things to consider, uh, and, uh, and and it is definitely a struggle and a battle. And there and as I said yesterday, there are more people in churches dealing with this than we realize. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, we've got some great uh, resources here. Uh, you mentioned in the message regeneration, tremendous context, uh, not just for alcohol, but uh, any type of sin struggle. So I uh, would definitely recommend uh, checking that out on Wednesday nights here at Crossgate. Well, Phil, thank you so much for your time today. It's been great and cannot wait until the next time on the podcast. Looking forward to it, Keith. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the More and Better Disciples podcast, a ministry of Crossgate Church in Hot Springs, Arkansas. To learn more, join us on our website, crossgate.org.